the, the idea that God wants life or the idea that God wants his people to live um, is, is really the centerpiece of the first five books of the Bible. We're going through this series on um, Christ in all of Scripture, and we're taking one passage in each of the Old Testament books, in Genesis, Exodus, and now we've come to Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, which is the centerpiece of the first five books of the Bible, the first five books written by Moses called the Torah or the Law or the Pentateuch. And Leviticus is the centerpiece and and actually structurally through the first five books there is a even a more centerpiece of what God is trying to say and it's I want my people to live and not die. And um When you when you think about this, and we're gonna we're gonna go over this text briefly here together, but when we think about this understanding that God wants us to live and not die, everything that God has done since the creation is for God's people to live. So where are we in the story? The Lord has met with his people on Mount Sinai. He's given the law and Moses is meeting uh, with the Lord and receiving this law, this understanding of how they are to live. And the people are down below erecting a golden image and worshiping this golden calf. They're failing the covenant and in the process they're facing the judgment of God. But God shows grace to his people. He calls them to build this tabernacle, the place in which God will dwell among them. And instead of giving their ornaments of gold to build a golden calf, now they give their gold as a freewill offering to build this place called the tabernacle. The tabernacle represents this new Eden, this, this place where God dwells with his people And when it's finished with its exact requirements, there's still a problem. Uh, Exodus ends with a problem. Exodus chapter 40, 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The idea is, is that God has now come to dwell among his people and now his people can't enter in. They can't enter into his presence. How how are God's people to live in the presence of a holy God and not die? You see, they are sinful and how can he dwell in their midst? And this is really the central piece of what will God do to allow his people into his presence. 
Some people read this book in Leviticus and they end their, uh, their, their Bible yearly plan right here, right? Like uh, we're about to get into Leviticus maybe next week in our Bible yearly plan. And they get into Leviticus and they go, man, this is so weird. This is so different. Uh, we're not under the sacrificial system. It's not in our everyday life. Yet the readers, and as Moses writes this, they would understand these things. They would, they would see this on a, on a daily basis. It'd be, it'd be like listening to a baseball broadcast on the radio many years from now, never playing baseball, never seeing it done in front of you. We understand the rules. We understand how the game is to be played. So listening to a live broadcast of a baseball game, we'd be able to follow it. But if we'd never seen the game played before, it'd be difficult for us to follow. Moses is speaking to an audience here who understands this sacrificial system. He gives this color commentary to a people that understand the rules on the daily basis of how they are to go about these sacrifices. So how are we to understand some of these things in our world today? That's what we're going to discuss Well, number one, these aren't a top ten ways to be a better person. These laws are not designed as a ladder to get to heaven. The laws are designed so that God can dwell among his people and they do not die lest God and his holiness come out and strike the sinner. You see, the law is actually given by God's grace so that his people do not die. If God does not punish sin, if if he does not do what he says he would do, words like mercy and grace really have no meaning. If he does not uphold his righteous standard, then he is not trustworthy. He is not a God to be followed. But because of his purity and holiness, he must punish sin. And if he is in the presence of uncleanliness and impurity and sin resulting from death, he will remove it from his presence. This is the God that we serve. So the duties of the priest in Leviticus become extremely important as they serve and guard the holiness of God in the tabernacle, performing these sacrifices so that God's people will live and not die. You see, the Lord is providing a way for his people to be in his presence. And he does that through what we would call sacrifice. So how do we understand Leviticus as a whole book? Chapters 1 through 7 deal with sacrifices, why they are instituted, what they are. Chapters 8 through 10 are about the priest and why you need these priests to offer these sacrifices. 11 through 15 are purification of uncleanliness. Uh, And then you have chapter 16 which is the centerpiece of the book. It's called the Day 
of atonement. And then in the second half of the book, you reverse that that thought process. 17 through 20 is about purification and loving your neighbor, which is a purification. 21 and 22, which is priesthood. 23 through 27, again, we talk about sacrifices. So we have this chiastic structure, again, pointing us into the centerpiece of the book of Leviticus, which is the Day of Atonement. If you want to read more on this and you want to become a Bible nerd and know everything about Leviticus, you can read the book, Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord by Michael Morales. That is a tremendous book for those that want to read it. So Leviticus, what is it? It's not a ladder to get to heaven. It's how to walk into a house on fire and not die. It's dealing with the problem of sin. And at the end of Leviticus, the book of Numbers will begin with Moses speaking to the Lord in the tent of meeting. So Leviticus will have done its job. Moses may not enter in at the end of Exodus and through Leviticus and the sacrificial system, Moses now enters and the Lord speaks to him by providing a way of atonement for God's people. So let's read together Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15 together. If you'll stand with me in reading of God's word. Leviticus sixteen fifteen. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanlessness. No one may enter into the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord, make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanlessness of the people of Israel. And when he's made an end of atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Amen? The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray. You you see what I'm talking about, that baseball game right there, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth, that it provides us pictures of Christ and the cross. 
and dealing with the problem of sin that you are a holy and righteous God and want to dwell among your people. We thank you for giving us, Father, this book that we can see who you are, the God of grace and mercy who also punishes sin. And Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy that you have presented to us of Jesus on the cross, the perfect sacrifice which is provided for atonement for your people, your church. And may we place our faith and confess that we need Jesus as your church and your people. Lord, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I was a little boy, I was in third grade, and we went to the beach, and it was one of the first times I had um, gone to the beach, um, and in Portland, Oregon, that's where we were at the time, and we had all of our cousins together, my mother and uh, her sister and all of our cousins, and we were going to the beach, and we got to the beach, and all of the sudden, I turned around, and no one was with us. Uh, all, you know, eight, nine of our cousins, our whole family. And at that moment, it was like home alone happened, right? When you find out you are alone. And on the beach, as a little boy, maybe fourth, fifth grade, I began running, like Forrest Gump, running. And I began running as fast as I possibly could run and I ran like five minute mile. I ran a mile and a half down that beach as fast as I could, crying, weeping. Where, where is my family? I've lost my family. And, uh, you know, finally a lifeguard got me, brought me back, said, where did you start running? <laughs> and brought me back to the place where I started. And of course, my parents were right there and I said, oh, we were just looking at this sandcastle over here. And isn't that kind of what happens to God's people? All of mankind has kind of been running and God has never left his creation. We, we sometimes feel that way as, as, as people. We feel that... That, that God has left us and we're looking around going, where, where is the Lord? And we just began running, not knowing where we're going. But he has not forgotten his creation. Even in Genesis, we saw um, the way back to God blocked after the fall of, of mankind. Eden was blocked with a flaming sword and Two cherubim guard the way back to himself. And yet God is showing his people again. It's through a high priest who provides a sacrifice and makes atonement that he could enter in to the presence of God. You know, even the tabernacle is built so that it represents Eden the high priest would enter through this veil that was guarding the holy of holies, the, the innermost sanctum where the presence of God was. And on this veil, guess what are on the veil? The two cherubim. Just like the, was guarding the Garden of Eden, they would pass these cherubim 
creatures to enter in to the presence of a holy God. You see, God deals with the problem of sin through atonement so that God can dwell among his people. And it will ultimately be Christ who enters into the presence of God on behalf of a sinful people and presents a perfect and holy sacrifice through the shedding of blood. The veil will be torn in two. And now God's people, according to the right sacrifice, are given to God himself to dwell among them as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in his people, his church. It's truly remarkable how the whole Bible fits together, how the Old Testament points us to Jesus. If you look at this section, the Day of Atonement, it begins in chapter 16, verse 1, And it says this, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Now in chapter 10, it tells us about two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. They are in the presence of God and die. Why? The Bible says that they offered to the Lord unauthorized fire. Basically, they go into the presence of God on their own terms. You may be saying, why, why would a loving God do that, right? They're, they're offering worship unto the Lord. Are they not? Are they not the high priest? Are they not supposed to be in the temple? They are. But they're going into the presence of God on their own terms. This is what it says after the two sons of Aaron died in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. What does that mean? That means Aaron understood that the Lord was right in killing his sons. By entering into his presence in an unworthy, unholy manner. And the beginning of this section, the Day of Atonement, is don't enter into the presence of God unless I tell you. Verse 2 is what it says here. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. So the high priest is only to enter once a year and that is to make atonement for himself For the tabernacle dwelling in which he is defiled by his own presence, the sinner entering into the presence of the tabernacle and for the people. And the whole rest of the chapter is goes through how the high priest is to prepare himself to enter the presence of God. And he does that through sacrifice. Making Atonement. We're going to talk about atonement here in a minute. But verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil 
and do with this blood as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. This is our first point this morning. God desires to dwell with his people. God desires to dwell with his people. How can an infinite holy God who must punish sin dwell amidst the sinful people? That's the question. That's the question, and Leviticus answers that question. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord into the presence of God and feast at his table? That's the question. And yet God wants his people to dwell with him. In the Garden of Eden, it it looks as if the man will not be able to enter into the presence of God. They're kicked out. Sin has created this barrier between God and his creation. The flaming sword, the cherubim are protecting mankind from entering into the presence of God so that they do not die. And now the only way to enter for the high priest is to make atonement through sacrifice. It's as if the the sword must come down upon the sacrifice so that the priest may enter. The sin offering is literally a transfer of debt. The transfer is from the sinner to the goat. In this case, it's the people of God to the goat. The sins of the people of God is transferred to the goat, and the goat is the sin offering. It's the substitutionary atonement for sinners, for the people. You see, the goat is literally paying for the sins of the people through what? Death. And as a result, the high priest is able to enter the Holy of Holies as he brings the blood inside the veil into the very presence of God. You see, the life is in the blood, so the blood is the life that is taken in place of God's people. The sprinkling has to do with the making of the holy holies clean. It's as if this place or this 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 The Holy of Holies has been defiled by the high priest entering it into the presence of God. And thus the sprinkling is making it clean by the atoning sacrifice. The mercy seat is on the top of the Ark of the Covenant where the cloud or the visible symbol of God's presence was in the tabernacle. Not only does this high priest have to make atonement for the people... But he, before he enters, he makes atonement for himself and the holy place in which he enters the tabernacle itself. So what is God doing? He is producing this whole sacrificial system so that there can be payment for sin. Ultimately, all these images are pointing to the high priest who will enter the presence of the Lord himself and present himself as the sacrifice for sins of the people, rendering them clean. That is, the high priest is Jesus. All this so the Lord could dwell among his people so that they may live and not die. 
God didn't have to call a people for himself, yet he did. He did not need to save them with a mighty outstretched arm against Egypt, but he did. He did not need to tell him them his name, but he did. He did not need to come and dwell among his people as they traveled to the promised land in a tent called the tabernacle, yet he did. He did not need to take on flesh and make his dwelling among men, being born as a baby, yet he did. He did not need to be the ultimate sacrifice for mankind upon the cross, presenting himself before God as pure and holy, yet he did. He did not need to send his spirit to dwell in his people called the church, yet he did. Why? Because he loves his people. He wants to dwell among his people. He created them to be in his presence in the garden, and he is bringing his people back to himself. Amen? It's called the New Jerusalem, and we will be there one day in his presence. God is orchestrating his plans amidst a sinful and wicked people. You might say, man, I read this, and that's that's some wild Old Testament stuff right there. Two priests enter into the presence of God and worship on their own terms, dying right on the spot. That's weird. Man, surely that doesn't happen in the church. We'll read the New Testament. It happens in the church, in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they come before the leaders of the church and they, they say, yeah, we sold all of our property They lay the proceeds at the feet of the apostles, yet they didn't, they didn't sell, they didn't lay all the proceeds, yet they said they did. They lied. They kept some back for themselves. They, they said that they were better than they actually were. They're making an offering to the Lord, yet in their own way, lying to his church, and as a result, what happens? The same fate happens, and they die in the presence of God. God's church is nothing to be taken lightly as the presence of God dwells with his people. I believe Acts chapter 5 is bringing us back to Nadab and Abihu and understanding the holiness of God in the Old Testament is the same holiness of God in the New Testament where his spirit dwells among his church. That means that the priests have a very important job. And yet in the New Testament, it calls all of us the kingdom of priests. And the responsibility now is upon all of us. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for Northwest Baptist Church? Well, it means that we're all priests in the kingdom of God who are called to serve and guard God's holiness. It means that those in the church should understand that membership in the body here means something. It's not a flippant thing to be shepherded and under the authority of the almighty God and his under shepherds and pastors and leaders in the congregation as the spirit rests upon his people. 
It means that if you have sins, you need to confess them. It means that if you're taking lightly the gathering, you should be reminded of your job as the people of God, a kingdom of priests to serve and to guard the gospel among his people as we perform the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism, the public reading of scripture, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It means that we as the people of God should perform church discipline as a way of displaying grace and mercy upon those in our camp who are living in sin and will be judged by a holy God. We should also remember that teaching people to obey is part of the Great Commission. Teaching people to obey the commands of Christ, allowing Christ to sanctify his people whom he has called to himself. You see, the church ought to reflect the glory of God just as Israel was to reflect the glory of God as he dwelt in, our, in their midst, he dwells among his people. The second point this morning I want to talk about is atonement. It's this, God provides atonement for his people through sacrifice. Verse 16, thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanlessness of the people of Israel, because of their transgressions, all their sins. You see, this is a clear gospel picture into, in which Moses is pointing us to this atonement for sin. That atonement is necessary because of transgressions and sins of God's people. There must be a payment for sin. Atonement is the Anglo-Saxon word meaning making at one, bringing once estranged relationship together, reconciliation through sacrifice. That is atonement, bridging the broken relationship to have fellowship with our God. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21 tells us about this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, one with Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's atonement. God took the perfect sacrifice of Christ and made us in a right relationship with our God. God is giving us a way for sin to be dealt with, the presence of God to be with man. This is why a gospel that is all about you 
falls short. A gospel that is all about your going to heaven and not going to hell. A gospel that is a prayer for your entry ticket into heaven falls short. You see, Jesus is not a cheaply priced ticket for a carnival ride. He's not a pass to get you into an all-expense eternal vacation. No, God provided a way for you to be made right and clean in the presence of a holy God who is to be feared. And all that you can do is enter into his gates with thanksgiving, entering into his courts with praise, giving thanks to him and blessing his name. That is the church, people. That is what we are called to do. We don't approach God by naming our demands or imposing our own opinions. We approach God with fear and trembling, recognizing that he has bridged the gap through Christ Jesus. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not allowed into the presence of God. And now through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, we are alive. Hebrews 9.11 says this, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen? The Old Testament is bringing to life the New Testament. I'm convinced that the, one of the reasons why the American church is asleep is we forgot that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God that, that these people served and wants to save and bring to himself and dwell among his people is the God of the New Testament and the grace is found in Jesus Christ. If we understand who this God is that we worship, we will worship him with fear and trembling. It will look different. And how will it look different? How should we live, brothers and sisters? Hebrews ten nineteen tells us, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold Fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us 
Consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We enter into the presence of God to be the church. Encouraging people to live their lives for the glory of God. When the church gathers, it gathers for a purpose. And that purpose is to encourage each other to live for Christ and not the world, to be holy and set apart a people for God's own possession. You see, we like sheep get distracted very easily. And yet the church is called to gather together to draw us back to himself by the hearing of the word of God, the speaking through his spirit into our lives. The spirit of the living God is revealing, is convicting in our hearts so that we can come to the Lord confessing our sins and find healing and forgiveness through the sacrifice of Christ. This is the church. It's beautiful. I'm gonna end right here with our third point, and it's this. God paid the penalty of sin and removed sin from his people. There are two goats. One is slain so that the priest can enter into the presence of God The other is cast away into the wilderness, representing the sin and uncleanliness of God's people taken away. That's where we get God paid the penalty of sin and he removed the sin from his people. So the priest lays his hands on the goat and he casts him out. This picture, right? We read it and we're like, what is he doing? It's this picture of of the sin, the uncleanliness of your sin being removed from the camp, being removed from the presence of God so that you can dwell with your God. What does he say? Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the rest, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It says something about this, the hand of a man who is in readiness. The the whole goal of this guy is to make sure that the goat continues to leave. He doesn't come back, right? The guilt is gone, right? It's not coming back. God's removed it through Jesus and his death on the cross. He's paid for your sin on the death on the cross and then he's removed it. Your guilt is gone. You enter into the presence of God being made holy and righteous and you say, Lord, I'm here. I wanna live and not die. Amen? They are made clean, God's people. One other thing that he does here. He says, lays both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it the iniquities of the people. 
this confession, this picture of the priest confession, the people's sin and placing his hands upon the goat as he sends them away. The confession of sin is necessary for faith in Christ because you're placing in Christ the realization that you have sinned. And this goat, it says it bears the sins of the picture of, of the people. It takes away, it carries the sins of the people just as Jesus bore the sins of the people on the cross. God dwells among his church today just as he did in the day of the tabernacle. What if the picture is that he does today dwell among his people? How would you live your life if God is in your camp? How would that change the way that you live? How would it change the view of your life Does the gospel become good news? When you partake of the Lord's Supper, do you recognize your need for Jesus? You see, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Brothers and sisters, our God is a consuming fire. And yet he has provided a way for his people to dwell in his presence. So let us rejoice and weep with joy at the atonement God has given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It should change the way that we live. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for...